how true that prayer really is. We need the Lord. So let's go to him right now. Father, we, we are in desperate need of you. For you to come in your power and your truth and your love and speak to us, Lord. And thank you for giving us your word. Your word is truth. Lord, it's been given us for teaching and training, correcting, rebuking, training up in righteousness, Lord. I pray that you would help me to rightly handle your word today in such a way that you are magnified, that people are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that um, you would, uh, you would be, receive all the glory and all the praise because you are such an awesome and amazing God. And if you agree with me, I ask that God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, this past week, we started our series entitled, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And uh, we actually began in the first of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus gives some of his last words to his disciples. And um, if you were here last week, maybe you'd even remember what those simple words were. Jesus said to go and disciple. Go and disciple. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go, first of all. We're supposed to go and see Jesus. Did you go to see Jesus this week? Did you spend time with Jesus? Did you have that quiet time with him? Did you, did you reflect on the Lord Jesus? Maybe you did it in groups. Then we're to go and go to Jesus' family, the church, and we're supposed to proclaim what Jesus has done, how he's been working in our lives. Have you done that this week? Have you shared with what God has been doing? God has been working in our midst. There's been 20 kids that came to faith in Christ, as I said earlier. Then one of the really cool stories this week that happened was Ryan Legg was um, uh, going to London, England as part of our Euro team. And uh, he needed a visa. And uh, some of us were praying for this visa. And it came 40 minutes before he was about to leave for the airport. Isn't that awesome? God's answering prayer, right? And we need to tell one another, encourage one another. Aren't you beat up most of the time when you go into the world? You need one another and encourage one another by how Jesus is working in your lives. And then finally, we're supposed to go to the nations and disciple them and tell them about Jesus. And we're supposed to baptize in them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. And so that was, that was week number one. This week, we're going to discover another instruction of Jesus before he left earth. And this instruction has a lot to do with redeeming the universe. Maybe you picked up that theme as we sang so much about, about redemption this morning. I need redemption. You need redemption. When we come across the latest headline from the news, it appears this, that this world and this universe is in chaos. People getting shot at Batman movies. Power outages in India. Civil war in Syria. And shootings close to home. Even this week, my wife Lori was at the park with our kids in Cambridge. And a young man was there with what looked like a gun in the back of his pants. Kids are pretty freaked out by that. 
But God was protecting them. And in my absence, there was other fathers that just happened to be there at the park and they, they chased these boys off. I thought we actually bought a house in a safe neighborhood. But um, people in Aurora, Colorado thought that going to the movie theater was safe just a few weeks ago too, right? We have so much more work to do, don't we? Here in Oshawa and Cambridge and around the world. And it's about Jesus' redemption. Will you join Jesus in his redemptive purposes and his plans and his methods and his practices? You see, the evil in this world began when the serpent tempted Eve and placed doubts in her mind as to whether God and his word were really true. Genesis 3 describes the scene of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and the consequences and the curses that followed, including experiencing shame as they discovered their nakedness. And then another part of the curse was there would be enmity between the woman and the serpent. We also find that another part of the curse that pain, there would be pain and childbearing, which I've witnessed firsthand with four times with my wife and one woman in Haiti, and it, it looks like it really hurts. <laughs> I just, it looks like it, but I better move on. <laughs> then there's the, uh, the curse. The curse also has its effects for for all human beings, with the thorns and the thistles. Saw this this week as we were working in, in, the, in the new home and in the backyard, and there were thistles and thorns all over, wasn't there, Lori? And then for all of us, we have to work and labor by the sweat of our brow. You're working so hard, and it's, that's why these weekends feel so great to just get some rest and refreshment. This universe, which God created good, but has suffered under man, who abdicated his role as viceroy, as under-ruler of God. When he said in Genesis chapter 1, rule over the birds and the fish and the birds of the sea and take care of the garden. We've abdicated from that role and now someone has taken our place. 1 John five nineteen says that this whole world is under the control of the devil. And so we have a usurping ruler in place. No wonder the universe longs to be redeemed. It wants to be free from its tyranny and have God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why Jesus came to extend his kingdom on earth. And this is why he is fighting for earth. As one theologian writes, the goodness of creation is portrayed as something to be fought for. All those headlines that you see in the news and all the, the strife that you face personally in your life this week, Jesus is fighting on your behalf if you let him. This whole world is, is groaning for Jesus to bring about redemption. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 22 and 23, just turn there. Listen to what, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We have a part, 
of Jesus' mission of redemption. So in light of the evil and chaos in the world that God created good without chaos, Jesus gives these final instructions in Mark chapter 16. This is where we're going to camp out this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 16. If you don't know where Mark is, let's look at the front of the table of contents and turn to the the gospel of Mark and then go to the very end of Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read it this morning. And as you're turning there in in, in Mark chapter 16, um, I need to tell you that after verse 8, there's some speculation whether Mark actually wrote these, these last few verses. And um, according to scholar Bruce Metzger, there are three possible explanations. First of all, the evangelist intended to close his gospel at verse 8. Or the gospel is never finished. Or as it seems most probable, the gospel actually lost its last leaf before it was multiplied, multiplied by transcription. In other words, um, that last few verses were lost and, uh, and before it was able to be copied. And so my view is that Mark didn't finish his gospel at verse 8 because it seems incomplete and cut off. Nevertheless, though verses 9 through 20 may be, not be written by Mark, they do show the ancient teaching of the early church and every verse aligns with Scripture. And since the longer ending is compatible with Scripture, I, I wrestled with this long enough. Could I really say, this is God's Word? Could I preach this? And I can say today that I can confidently preach this is God's truth. So let's read it in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tells disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest, and they did not believe them either. And later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. 
and confirmed his word by the signs that accompany it. Well, if we could uh, summarize this whole passage, I think the key verse is in verse 15. It says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So what's the basic instruction before leaving earth that Jesus wants you to have driven deep down into your heart today? It's preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And say, well, what am I supposed to do with preaching the gospel? Why am I supposed to preach the gospel? How do I preach the gospel? Well, first of all, we're going to say why and, and, and how. We need to preach the gospel to reverse the curse. We need to preach the gospel to reverse the curse. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. As I said earlier, this universe wants to be redeemed by Christ. It's yearning. It's, it's hungering to be redeemed by its master and lord and king. We find this in verse 9. And uh, it immediately raises a question in verse 9 when you read this. When Jesus rose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Now, immediately as I was studying this passage, I I, I thought, why would Jesus first appear to a, a formerly demonized woman? And give her the responsibility of proclaiming the message of the resurrection. Why would he do that? Wouldn't her message be suspect? Well, I wanted to declare today that the answer is simple. It's because Jesus is the great redeemer. We read from um, the 7th century scholar Bede, known as the father of English history. He wrote, A woman was first to taste the fall and the first to behold the resurrection. You see, Eve was deceived by Satan in the form of a serpent. And Mary Magdalene was rescued from Satan and given life. And this both has universal and personal implications. First, the universal implication. Often we think that Jesus died to save me from my sins. This is true, but it's not the whole picture. As Matt Chandler says in his excellent book, The Explicit Gospel, he writes this, The gospel does not terminate on individual salvation. Its aim is bigger and broader. It aims to restore all things, including brotherhood. And then he goes on to say this, The designation kingdom itself tells us that the gospel is God's plan not just to restore mankind, to to restore all things for mankind's enjoyment, for Christ's lordship, and for his triune self's glory. One scholar puts it this way, Under the rule of God, things shall be as they were always intended to be. And this is why the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. The earth is yearning for redemption, where it is stewarded well by those who reign with Christ. And this is way beyond a message that the tree huggers can say amen to. It's a message proclaiming that the world wants to be released from Satan's grip. No, we're not supposed to preach to the birds and the fish and the animals when they say, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Some like Francis of Assisi actually preached to the flowers. Here's a picture right now you can see. And um, I've actually seen my own wife um, talking to her plants out in her own garden. I've seen other gardeners. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. 
It's not crazy to remind the plants of their creator. Jesus says that if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. But this creation is yearning to be redeemed. All creation declares the glory of the Lord. And this is why our message to this world is that Jesus died on a cross and has risen from the grave to make all things new. Amen? And this has personal implications for you and for me. What has been lost in the curse will be redeemed by Christ if we will believe and be baptized in his name. Verse 16. What I have noticed in my life and in others' lives is that in the very spots, now listen up, the very spots where Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy, Christ has taken the trauma and turned it into triumph. Jesus did that with Mary Magdalene, and he can do, do it with you too today. Maybe you are under the attack of the evil one. Jesus wants you to experience his resurrection and victorious power over where you've been hurt most. You too can have a message like Mary did to those who were mourning and weeping. But there'll be times when you preach the gospel and people will doubt. They won't believe you. Maybe you used to be under Satan's grip. Maybe people doubt you because they knew you before you believed in the resurrected Christ. They saw the old you. They haven't seen the new you. Be encouraged today. Continue to preach the gospel even to those who doubt. And if people doubt you, you're still supposed to preach the gospel. So that's the second point. We're supposed to reverse the curse. Like with Mary Magdalene, Jesus does this amazing thing where Eve at one time had been under the curse and been tempted by the evil one. Jesus redeems this woman, Mary Magdalene, who, was, who had seven demons in her. And then he gives her the message to go out and share the good news. Isn't that awesome? But you will experience doubt. You will experience doubt. You will encounter resistance. Notice what, I, what it says in verses, verse 11. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. The disciples did not initially believe Mary that she had been seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. They didn't believe. In verse 13, it goes on to say, these returned, well, I'll start in verse 12. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. That's two other disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe in them either. We'll unpack that story more in Luke chapter 24, verse uh, the whole chapter of Luke 24 next week at Kanaka when um, we have communion. But for now, I want you to expect when you go into the world and preach the gospel that you will encounter resistance. You will encounter resistance. Especially from those who, have, who have, should know better, who Jesus has been working in their life. Maybe some in the church. My encouragement to you is that Jesus himself faced resistance even though he was the resurrected son of God. And yet he kept preaching the gospel so that you and I would be saved. Now some of you may be surprised that he even asking you to preach the gospel. You may be thinking, John, isn't that just for, for you pastors and for you missionaries? You've gone to seminary, you've been trained. You're thinking, I can't speak like Pastor Rick. Well, guess what? None of us can speak like Pastor Rick. And we're not supposed to. 
We are to proclaim what we have seen, what we have seen Jesus do in our life. We're supposed to be trained, which goes back to last week. The apostles' training came from what? What did the apostles' training come from? Spending time with Jesus. It's that simple. You are required to be a student of Jesus if you believe in him. And you're required to train and disciple the nations. Everybody who is a follower of Christ can and must do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So some of you are saying, okay, I I got it, John. I'll I'll, I'll learn more about Jesus. I'll spend time with him. But I'm going to be one of those silent preachers. You know, I've heard that phrase. um, You know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. The problem with that is, is it's unbiblical. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Just turn there quickly. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul writes this. Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So here's the deal for all those who might be thinking, I'm just going to be a silent preacher. Those feet, look at those feet that you have right now. Those were not just meant to go to the fridge to get another meal. They were meant to bring good news to all creation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what those feet are for. And you are going to experience resistance when you bring the good news. You're going to experience initial resistance. And that's why we're to live out the gospel. But we must also preach it. Otherwise, it's just good works and not good news. Just to be clear, the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and to, to rise again. To give you a new life that lasts forever. Keep living and preaching this. And some, not all, will come to faith in Christ. Aren't we seeing this in our midst? People coming to faith in Jesus? Shouldn't we be encouraged to continue on? Oh, I just want to continue to say that to you. To continue to preach the gospel. After I leave, continue to preach the gospel. To all creation. Some will doubt. You'll experience resistance. But don't give up. Don't give up. Why? The disciples in this passage in Mark 16, they initially didn't believe, did they? And how about you? Did you not initially believe? None of you had a love at first sight conversion. No, God through the Holy Spirit wrestled you down until there was a tap out. And you declared him the victor in your life. All of us in this room, if we're genuinely saved, if we've genuinely been converted to Christ, had a sin conversion where you see the depth of your sin at the cross and what it cost Jesus and you you recognized what he did for you, that he shed his, his blood for you. And that's where love comes in. 
And that's where you're motivated by his love. So keep preaching the gospel. And we'll start to see people's doubts overcome. And you'll see the signs of God's awesome gospel power. In other words, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel with expecting Jesus to confirm his word. And that's point number three. Preach the gospel with expecting Jesus to confirm his word. In verses 17 through 18, we find some very peculiar promises of Jesus. There will actually be signs that accompany the message of the cross. And as I describe them, think of how Jesus is overcoming the effects of the fall and redeeming creation. And notice how all these signs are supernatural, meaning that they overcome the natural. So, in verses 17 and 18, it says, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them all at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Let's start off with the first thing. It says there, they will drive out demons. Jesus and his kingdom evict demons who've messed up creation. And this is still happening in the world today. In our culture, we used to think maybe that happens in some, some tribal group where, um, where, where there's been demon worship. But in our culture, we have become increasingly pagan. We're into new age theology. We dabble in all sorts of occultic things. All you have to do is look at, at a movie. I was trying to go to a movie with my son this, this week, and I couldn't believe all of them had a dark and evil side. And so when we preach the gospel, it will drive out demons in this country and in our midst. Then it talks about speaking with new tongues. I think tongues is a reversal of the Tower of Babel when we were divided over language, when we thought we were so proud as human beings to think that we could be as elevated up to, to God's standard, to God's level. Now preaching the gospel is used, and tongues are used as a sign to unbelieving people groups. 1 Corinthians 14, says this, tongues are not for believers, but for unbelievers. And so think about how there are at times, maybe a missionary goes to an un, unreached people group and um, the missionary can't speak their language. There's no, there's no Bible that's written in their language. And all of a sudden, supernaturally, as a part of redeeming creation, that missionary is able to speak and, and, and proclaim the gospel in their own language without having lots of study ahead of time. That seems to happen in the book of Acts, doesn't it? Book of Acts chapter 2. They started speaking in tongues and then the apostle Peter was able to proclaim the gospel. Then we have this crazy phrase here that they will pick up snakes with their hands. Did you know that some people still do this? I just read that on May 30th, Pastor Mac Walford in Tennessee, guy right here, you can see the picture, was um, handling a rattlesnake in the service, and he died. He died. 
That's a misinterpretation of this verse right here. We see that this verse actually came true in the book of Acts, right? In chapter 28. Look at, look at Acts chapter 28. Verses 3 through 6. The Apostle Paul had just landed. They'd been kind of landed on the island of Malta. And um, the Apostle Paul, in, in Acts chapter 28, verse 3, it says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. See, this has already been fulfilled in Mark chapter 16 and in Acts chapter 28. What about drinking deadly poison? It says it will not harm them. I think this is really important for you Zambia team right now. Listen up to this, okay? You're going on a missions trip. I believe that God's going to protect you. You're going to be going to places where you're going to be eating things that could actually cause you great harm. And I believe that, that God is going to protect you in light of this verse in Mark chapter 16, as long as he doesn't want to receive greater glory from, from, you, from your suffering. And so parents of, of these kids, you got you to gotta, you gotta believe in the strong arm of the Lord and in his protection. Now, does that mean you can be reckless? Does that mean we should just drink poison all of a sudden? You can do whatever you want on that mission trip? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jesus is not telling us to pick up snakes, which is a relief to some of you today, right? Right, Kenny? However, if we unintentionally come across a, a poisonous snake or drink, we at least find biblical precedent, precedent for explaining why we're protected. We're doing the king's work. And so that's one of the principles that we find in this passage as we preach the gospel to all creation. We can go with confidence in the Lord's hand and in his strength. Now, before I leave, I don't want you to be under the impression that we should chase signs. As someone has said from this verse where it says, these signs will follow, does not mean that we should follow signs. Jesus is speaking prophetically, not giving us a command to handle snakes, drink poison, speak in tongues, and cast out demons. The only command in the passage, the only imperative in the passage is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Wait for the signs to come to you, but expect Jesus to work in your lives. And hasn't he been working in our midst? People are getting baptized. People are being rescued from the evil one. And why is this all true? Because Jesus is working with you. He's working with us when you preach the gospel. My favorite phrase in this whole passage is in verse 20. And maybe this would be one, one of the verses you want to memorize this week. It says, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. I love that phrase. The Lord worked with them? You mean when you're going to, you're going to your job, the Lord is working with you? As you go and preach the gospel to all creation? And he confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied them. How awesome is that? 
The Lord will confirm his word because he himself is working with you. Pastor Calvin preached or quoted from John chapter 15 earlier about that we'll bear much fruit and apart from you can do nothing, verse 5 it says. We can't do this on our own. We can't preach the gospel on our own. We were doubters, weren't we? Everyone in this room at one time was a doubter when Jesus showed up, started knocking. And the irony in this passage in Mark 16 is that we are to go to a doubting world. We can relate to them and we can say, I was a doubter. Now I'm a believer in Jesus. And I come to you with good news today that will be for you and for your household. That if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross, that he shed his blood for you, that he rose again, that he has been seen by many witnesses, you can have new life, you can have joy. Therefore, we must remember and cry out to Jesus for him to go with us. We will not go unless he goes. But the great promise for you today is this. Christ will go. We must, though, preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel. This past week, I left Lori in Cambridge while I was here in Oshawa. There's still much chaos in our house when I left with boxes everywhere. When I came home, I saw all the work she had done. There were now even some pictures on the walls. Lori was redeeming the mess. There were signs everywhere of her work. Now when I came home, do you think I just took it easy? No. No. There are things for me to do. There's things for me to do and things for me to repair. See, I'd been giving general oversight from Oshawa. Now I was to, to help her directly. I liken this to the picture to that basic instruction Jesus gave us before leaving earth. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. He gives us the task to do. Then in verse 20, he says, Jesus worked with them and confirmed his words by the signs that accompanied it. See, Jesus not only gives us the assignment, he accompanies us in the assignment. All you need to do this week brothers and sisters, is go and preach the gospel. And Jesus will show up. He'll show up. Will you do that this week? Because he did it for you. He showed up for you. Someone preached the gospel to you. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross through your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray. I pray that we would now go on mission, preaching the gospel everywhere, everywhere we go, that where you go, we will follow. Where you are serving, we will serve, Lord. And I pray that everyone here who's heard the gospel this morning, they would know you, Lord Jesus. They would not leave trusting in you without trusting in you Father we pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus and God's people said